0: Good morning, friends. It's a joy to be with you in this capacity. Usually I'm around there someplace. Uh, I'm Mary Hulst. as Sam said. I serve as the university pastor at Calvin University here in Grand Rapids, and I'm also a member of this congregation, so it's a joy to serve you this way. Uh, I have a bonus announcement, too, just for fun. Um, tonight at Calvin University at 6 p.m., we're having a tenebrae service which is a service that walks through the events of Holy Week. It'll be in our Covenant Fine Arts Center, and you're all welcome to come. 6 p.m., our cappella choir will sing. It's essentially what I like to think of as the lessons and carols for Lent. So, uh, tenebrae service tonight at 6 at Calvin. All are welcome. Our text for today comes from Matthew. <clears throat> this is what happens after uh, the triumphal entry. This is the next scene Matthew 21, we'll read verses 12 through 17. If you want to follow along in a a book, um, the Bible is the black book, page 1406. It's also on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, Jesus said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to Jesus at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, Jesus replied. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you, Lord, have called forth praise? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. So why was Jesus so upset? This scene that we have here in the Gospels is kind of an anomaly. Usually he's pretty chill, he's in control of himself, and it seems like he just can't stand what is happening here. Why is that? Well, Jesus is in the temple and the temple needed its own money. If you wanted to do business at the temple, you needed to have a special temple money. So you had to exchange whatever currency you had from wherever you were for special temple money. And then you could buy your sacrifice, your animal. And the most common animal used in sacrifice was a dove. And so the Jews figured out, like, you know, we could make this really efficient for everybody and just set this right up here in the temple court. So people come up from the stairwell, here is the market, they can uh, exchange their money, they can buy their dove, they can make their sacrifice, one-stop shopping. So easy, so efficient, so convenient and comfortable for all of them. Well, almost all of them. Because that's not what this part of the temple courts was for. If you look at this image on the screen, you have an idea of what the temple courts look like. The gold part in the middle, that's that's the, the holy of holies, and the sacrifices would take place in there. There's a special court for the men, there's a special court for the women, and by that I mean Jewish men and Jewish women. If you wanted to get into those inner courts, you had to be a Jewish man or woman who is healthy, and whole and ceremonially clean which meant you had gone through the ritual bath or the mikvehot in order to get into the temple you can see the large area around it i know some of you won't be able to read it in the back but it's called the gentiles courtyard or the court of the gentiles that's the most space given and scholars believe that it's quite likely most likely That on the left side, you see the covered stairwells, people would come up from their ritual baths right there, and that's probably exactly where the tables were set up to exchange your money and buy your dove. Which meant that the Gentiles, who were supposed to have access, supposed to have space, were pushed out. But it wasn't just the Gentiles who lost out on their space because the Jews had taken it over. You can take that down now, thanks. It was also any Jew who wasn't qualified to go into the inner court. So if you were not healthy or whole or ceremonially clean, you could not go in. And so the court of the Gentiles was supposed to be for everybody who couldn't quite make it in. They would still have access. That was the gift. That's how God wanted the temple to be designed. He told the people, when you do the temple, you want to make space for Gentiles and non-Jews and foreigners and people who don't quite yet have access. They need to be able to get in and worship. But the Jews had made it most convenient for them, pushing out the others. Now, it's easy for us to look at the Jews and say, come on, guys, you knew better than this. Like God told you, this is how you build the temple. You got to make space. I mean, come on. But this text invites us to look at the ways in which we design our church and our worship and our space for people who are already in church and worship and get the space I have the opportunity to worship in lots of different places as I preach in different locations, and it always strikes me how many buildings are made assuming you already know how to find things. A lot of the older buildings like this one were not designed for easy access, and anybody in our congregation who's ever been on a scooter or crutches or a wheelchair knows how challenging that is to figure out. But we also assume certain things like people know when to stand up and sit down or that they can read or that English is familiar to them. We assume that maybe if we sing the tune often enough, people will catch it. That's common in a lot of churches. We make these assumptions about things and we want to make it most easy for us I was listening to a presentation by the British theologian N.T. Wright. And he talked about this vision that God has of every tongue, tribe, and nation gathering together for worship. And he said, we have failed miserably in this. And he said, one of the big reasons why is that as Christians have immigrated, a Christian who, a Christian who are immigrating into a majority culture area of other Christians, the majority culture Christians rarely would adapt their worship so that the immigrants would feel most welcome. What they were much more comfortable doing is setting up a different spot so that the immigrating Christians would have their spot, so that they could be comfortable. And we get that, right? It's easier to worship with people who speak like us and eat like us and know the same songs... But what happens then is that we have churches that are you know these are more the dutch churches and these are the korean churches and these are the churches uh, for spanish-speaking people and we create these divisions and we lean into them as if that's how it's supposed to be there's a church that recently started here in grand rapids called city hope grand rapids and the church began so that people with disabilities or people who have family members with disabilities can easily find a place to worship. Parents with autistic kids, people who have accessibility issues, people who can't hear or see, they needed a space to go and worship. Now, on one level, that's beautiful. And on the other level, that is deeply tragic. Like, how have we failed as churches in Grand Rapids that... Our disabled friends and family members thought, it's a whole lot easier for me to just not go there and let's just find our own spot. How do we shape things so that it's easiest for those of us who already know how to do church? That's why Jesus is upset, because God's people pushed out God's people. And in Jewish debate, you only had to quote just a bit of a scripture passage for everybody to know because everybody knew scripture really well. And he does that three times. The first thing he does is he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And everyone with an earshot would have known the next part of that verse is for all peoples. Jesus is quoting there from Isaiah 56, where God says the Gentiles that bind themselves to me who long to worship, who want to keep my covenant, who want to honor Sabbath, they will be welcomed. Their sacrifices will be welcomed on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. And I will gather to them the exiles and the outcasts even more than those already gathered. Then he quotes Jeremiah. Jeremiah You've made it a den of robbers. The next line is, and God is watching. And then, Psalm 8. Do you see what these kids are doing? Chatter, chatter, they're so loud. I mean, what's what's going on with that? Psalm 8, he says, "Don't, don't you know that it's written down that Out of the mouths and children and babes, he's ordained praise. And the next line is, to establish a stronghold against his enemies, to silence the foe and the avenger. And all three of the passages that Jesus quotes, he's making it very clear to the Pharisees, to the Jews who have set up the system for themselves, that by setting up a system for themselves, they have set themselves up against God against the desires of God, against the passion of God, the vision of God for everyone gathering together. And that's why Jesus is so upset. That's why he flips over the tables. He wants to make space. He wants to give access to people who do not have access. He wants to make space for people who feel that they've been pushed aside. And Matthew notes what happens next. The blind and the lame come to Jesus. Now we may think, well, of course, the blind and the lame come to Jesus because, you know, he's Jesus. But Matthew is making this point to draw the people's attention back to something that had happened centuries before. When David was slowly building his kingdom, David eventually became the king of Israel, he wanted Jerusalem as his capital city, but Jerusalem was occupied by the Jebusites. And Jerusalem was on a hill, it was fortified, nobody could get it, nobody had figured out how to take it. And they were a bit cocky, the Jebusites. And so when they saw David and his little band of folks coming their way, they kind of taunted them. They're like, hey, go ahead, good luck, buddy. You can't take us, we're the Jebusites, we're awesome. And in fact, they said this, we're so great, even our blind and lame people could take you out. And ooh, did this make David mad? He was so mad about this. So he figured out the way to take Jerusalem was to go up through the water shaft. And this is what he told his team. He said, listen, Whoever goes up this water shaft and takes out the Jebusites, you be sure to kill those blind and lame people whom David hates. And it became a saying, like he was so annoyed by this, it became a saying in Israel, the blind and the lame are not welcomed in the house. 2 Samuel 5, if you want to read. becomes this saying. And so Matthew, a Jew, writing his book to Jews to teach them about Jesus, he says, look what happens. The son of David clears out the way so that the blind and the lame can come into the house of God. And not only does he welcome them in, but he heals them. And if they were Jewish... The healing meant that they could now access the inner courts. The healing meant that they were fully restored to their relationship with God. So Jesus makes a way for people who have no way. He makes access for Gentiles, for children, for the blind, for the lame. He says, you too are welcome to worship a holy God. And now this is good news for us, because as far as I know, most of us are Gentiles. Jesus made space for our spiritual ancestors. And we see how this has this ripple effect. We look at the book of Acts, which is the collection of stories which happens next, after Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension. What do his friends do? That's the book of Acts, and we hear these Stories about Cornelius, a Roman, God-fearing worshiper. We hear about the Ethiopian eunuch who was God-fearing, who worshipped in the temple. We hear these stories about Lydia, who knew about God. These are our spiritual ancestors. And we know that what Jesus does here on Palm Sunday isn't where his work ends. In the rest of this week, Jesus lays down what is convenient or comfortable or efficient, and he moves into suffering for us. He moves into pain and betrayal and trial for us. Jesus lays himself down. So that you and I have access to a holy God. Jesus takes everything that separates us from God to the cross. All of our idolatries and addictions and temptations and the stubborn sins we cannot shake. Jesus takes all of those to the cross and kills them. Because he says, I, will, I don't want anything to get in the way of your relationship with my Father, I will make a way for you to have access. I will make a way for you to be right with God. This is the gift that Jesus gives to us. He makes a way for us. And then he invites us to make a way for other people. One of the questions I'm often asked because of my job is, how do we get college students to come to our church? And college students want church. They want a relationship with God. They want people to help them figure out how to follow Jesus, especially because it's getting harder and harder and harder. They want churches that are willing to talk about the things that they are thinking about and talking about and praying about all the time. Climate change, mental health, race relations, human sexuality. They want the church to teach them, how have we thought about that in the past? How are we thinking about that now? What difference will that make moving forward? They wonder about the church when they see the wealth displayed in our congregations and in our church parking lots. They wonder why Grand Rapids has the reputation of being such a hard place to be a black American when there are churches on every corner. They wonder why any church anywhere would ever use styrofoam. They hesitate to join a church where their gay friend would not also be welcome. We have shown willingness in this congregation to say, "Yeah, we're going to talk about those things. We're going to talk about them. We're going to move toward them." And it's not just for us, because you know we're all we're we're fine. You and me, we're it's Palm Sunday. We're here. It's a beautiful Sunday morning. We're here. We're good. This church doesn't exist for us. We're good. We love Jesus. Most of us are here. We're committed. We're all... It's not for us. It's for them. It's for the folks who aren't here. Are we willing to ask our coworkers, our friends, our children, what do I do that gets in the way between you and Jesus? Are we willing to ask, what does our church do? What could we do better to make it easier, better, richer, realer for you to join us? How do we get in your way and how can we get out of the way? This week, we take a turn and we look at these deep stories, these painful stories of how Jesus gave himself up for us. And he invites us to say, how are you now? Because I have done this for you. How will you give yourself up for others? And he promises to help. He doesn't just say good luck with that. He empowers us by his Holy Spirit. He equips us. He provokes us. He moves us. So that we turn aside from selfishness and toward selflessness. Aside from comfort and toward discomfort. Aside from efficiency and toward depth, aside from being like us and toward being more like him, Jesus has made a way for those who had no way, and now he invites us to do the same. Blessed be his holy name. Will you pray with me? Our God, we give you praise and thanks for you made a way for us. Through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, we have access to you, a holy God. You forgive us. You welcome us. You feed us. We pray, Holy Spirit, that as we now approach your table that you will use this bread and this cup to strengthen us for the joy and the work that you have called us to do. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.